Cash song. Now, I was going to sing it to you, but Brenda said I would never get invited again. <laughs> and I also realized I'm a little overdressed. But there's a reason for that. I heard about a woman that won a lot of money, and in, in, in not won it, but she inherited a lot of money, and she decided to take a lot of it and take care of herself. And so she, uh, she had liposuction, and she had all kind of facial things done to her, and, and uh, she got hit by a car. And when she stood before God, she said, I don't understand. I mean, at the time of my life when everything was happening, why did you let this happening happen to me? And God said, I'm sorry I didn't recognize you. <laughs> so I've been preaching 58 years, and very rarely have I been without a suit. And I, I tease David a lot, and he tells me that someday he's going to get me to do it the correct way. Okay, looking for songs from Johnny Cash. I, the first one I thought about was... Um, Walk the Line. Uh, it's, a, it's a great song. The words are incredible. He says, I, I keep a close watch on this heart of mine. I keep my eyes wide open all the time. I keep the ends out for the tide that binds. Because you're mine, I walk the line. I find it very, very easy to be true. I find myself alone when each day is through, yet I admit that I'm a fool for you because you're mine, I'll walk the line. That song was written by Johnny Cash to his wife. He wanted her to know that when he was away that he would be faithful to her. That second part of the second verse, I find myself alone when each day is through, Johnny Cash was the opening performer for Elvis Presley. And Elvis had a tendency to draw a lot of ladies to his performances. And so Johnny wanted his wife to know that every night that he would be alone. I thought this would be a great song to find Jesus in because as a man, this is a commitment I need to make to my wife and to my God. I made a decision and I'm going to walk the line. It's a great song for wives to know the same thing. We've made this commitment. So I'm going to let David take care of this one. The second one I came up with had to do with what was happening in the world today. A boy named Sue, or you could call it a girl named Bob or something. I'm not sure. But I have a, I have a policy that when I am invited to go somewhere and speak, that I will not deal with a controversial subject unless I'm asked to by the elders of that church. Because it would be unfair for me to come in and stir up the, the pot without their knowledge, foreknowledge, and without their approval. So I knew that wasn't going to work either. And so I did come across one that, uh, that I thought was very special. You can look it up on, on, online. and It's a song that Johnny doesn't sing. He just uses that great voice of his to... Uh, to give us some information and so let's let's read that song together here is the man here's a man who was born in a small village until he reached the age of 30 he worked as a carpenter then for three years he was a traveling minister but he never traveled more than 200 miles from where he was born and when he did go he usually walked he never held political office, 
He never wrote a book, never bought a home, never had a family. He never went to college, and he never set foot inside a big city. Yes, here was a man. Though he never did one of the things usually associated with greatness, he had no credentials but himself. He had nothing to do with this world except through the divine purpose that brought him to this world. While he was still a young man, the tide of popular opinion turned against him. Most of his friends ran away. One of them denied him. One of them betrayed him. And one turned him over to his enemies. Then he went through the mockery of a trial and was nailed to a cross between two thieves. And even while he was dying, his executioners gambled for the only piece of property that he had in this world. And that was his purple robe. And when he was dead, he was taken down from the cross and laid in a borrowed grave provided by compassionate friends. More than 19 centuries have come and gone, and today he is the centerpiece of the human race, our leader in the column to human de destiny. I think I am well within the mark when I say that of all the armies that have ever marched, of all the navies that have ever sailed the seas, all the legislative bodies that have ever set, and all the kings that have ever reigned, all of them put together have not affected the life of man on this earth so powerfully as this one solitary life. He was a man. One thing that's very interesting is that Pontius Pilate seemed to agree with Johnny Cash. Look at John chapter 19, verse 4 and 5. Here John says, Once more Pilate came out and said to the Jews, Look, I am bringing him out to you to let you know that I find no basis for the charge against him. When Jesus came out wearing a crown of thorns and the purple robe, Pilate said to them, Here is the man. And what is so interesting is that so many of the people there did not recognize him, even though they should have. For example, in John chapter 19, verses 2 and 3, starting with verse 1, it says, Then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged which is another way of saying he was beaten almost to the point of death then. And you wonder how, how Pilate can reconcile that flogging with this statement, of, I don't find anything wrong with this man. But in verse 2 it says, The soldiers twisted a cr together a crown of thorns and put it on his head. They clothed him in a purple robe and went up to him again and again, saying, Hail, King of the Jews! And they struck him in the face. Matthew says they struck him with a staff. When they put him there in that robe and put that crown upon his head, they had him sit in a chair and they gave him a staff like a king would have. Then they took that same staff and hit him with it. And as they walked around him in circles, these soldiers would spit on him and slap him and say, Who did it? See, they didn't believe that he was a king. But he is. And then in John 19, verse 6 and 7, John writes, As soon as the chief priest and the officials saw him, they shouted, Crucify! Crucify! But Pilate answered, 
You take him and crucify him. As for me, I find no basis for a charge against him. You see, Pilate knew they couldn't do it without his permission. And so it was easy for him to say, hey, you take him and do it. The Jews insisted, we have a law. And according to that law, he must die because he claimed to be the son of God. They didn't believe he was the son of God, but he is. And then in John 19, verse 15, Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? We have no king but Caesar, <laughs> the chief priest answered. No king but Caesar. The Jews hated the Roman occupation of Israel. They hated those Roman soldiers that not only taxed them, but even required them to carry their luggage anywhere they went. Could you imagine going to the airport today and have someone say, hey, pick up my luggage and take it with me? You'd say to them, you take it yourself. Jews couldn't do that. They hated it so much that, you remember the coin that Jesus had Peter find and bring to him? It was found in a fish and he was going to pay taxes. That coin had the inscription of, of uh, Caesar on it. They would take and they would deface the coin for their hatred for Caesar. They hated it so much that those coins were not allowed to be used to pay the temple tax. You had to take those coins and exchange them into the temple tax coins, coins of Israel. That's why partially the money changers were there. I mean, not only were they selling merchandise, but they were also exchanging their Roman coins for the temple tax money. They just didn't believe Jesus was their king. But he is. You see, the soldiers and the Jews and the chief priest, none of them recognized who Jesus was. But there was one person on the scene that seems to get it right. He may not have known it at the time, but he was. He was the one that stood before the masses and declared, Here is the man. He is the one that said, Behold your king. 19 verse 14. He was the one that said, Would you have me crucify your king? Chapter 19 and verse 15. All of those phrases are very important phrases, but each one has a deeper meaning because they are spoken as if they are the very words of God himself. Did you know that Pilate was actually reading from a script? All of these things he said, God had already ordained. In Acts chapter 4, Verses 27 through 28 actually occur in the middle of a prayer. Peter and John had healed a man. And the Sanhedrin was very upset about it. And so they had them arrested. And they put them in jail overnight. And when they brought them in the next day, they were very concerned about how the people would react. And so they simply told them, you can't preach in the name of Jesus anymore. Peter and John says, we can only do what God wants us to do. And so they released them after giving them stern warnings. And they went back with God's people. And there they began to pray to the Father. And in that prayer, we find verses 27 and 28. Here is Peter and our Paul, or Peter or, or uh, John praying. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles 
and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. This wasn't a secret. This was something God had decided long ago. And Pilate just spoke those words. But, you know, it's also interesting that the high priest, Cephas, also spoke the same way. He was reading from God's script. Look at John 11, verses 48 to 51. The people said, if we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And then the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. Then one of them named Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year, spoke up. You know nothing at all. You do not realize that it is better for you that one man die for the people than for the whole nation to perish. But notice verse 51. He did not say this on his own. But as high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the Jewish people. Cephas didn't speak on his own. He was reading God's script. And so Pilate makes this declaration, here is the man that you think is so dangerous and so threatening. Here is this man that's been beaten almost to the point of life who comes out with this crown of thorns upon his head. I can imagine the blood coming down and Pilate saying, here is the guy that you're afraid of. It's very possible he was trying to shame the Jews into changing their minds. But there is another level it's deeper in the statement that is made by Pilate. You see, without realizing it, Pilate had made a messianic prophecy. Or I quoted it. It's from, from Zechariah chapter 6 and verse 12. Here's what the prophet wrote. Tell him, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Here is a man whose name is the branch and he will branch out from this place and build the temple of the Lord. There's that, here is the man. One version says, behold, the man. Jesus was that man. And he came to fulfill all prophecy, including Zechariah chapter 6 and verse 12. But I want you to look at Pilate's words, behold your king. Because I don't really think that Pilate thought that Jesus was a king. I think he was just annoyed by all the activity of the Jewish people, especially the high priest, especially the Pharisees, especially the Sanhedrin, because he knew it was for envy that they did it. And so he says, behold your king, and they cry out, crucify him. And so when Jesus was hung on the cross... Pilate had one additional thing to say. He had a plaque that was placed above the head of Jesus declaring Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. You want to crucify this man? Then know that you've crucified your king. In fact, that's the message that God has wanted people to know from that time on. You've crucified your king. Not only did he did it, do it then, but seven weeks later, the same subject is brought up. 
Remember the day of Pentecost when all the people heard the mighty rushing wind and they came to Peter and he began to talk to them. Peter began to preach that Jesus was the Messiah, their king. And in Acts chapter 2 in verse 22 and 23, listen to what Peter says in his great sermon. He says, Jesus of Nazareth, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge, and you with the help of wicked men put him to death by nailing him on the cross. Jesus is, is the Messiah. And Peter's first sermon is, you crucified your king. And then the next chapter, that's Acts chapter 3, uh, he, he continues to give exactly the same point. This is a whole different group of people. But he says, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed. You disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disown the holy and righteous one and ask that a murderer be released to you. You kill the author of life, but God raised him from the dead, and we are witnesses to that. The message that he wanted put out over and over again, you crucified the king. You killed the Messiah. But do you realize what the scripture is really saying? It's not just to the Jews, it's to us. Peter tells us this in 1 Peter 2 and verse 24, where it says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. It's important that we understand the truth. Jesus died to take away your sins and mine. There's a hymn, How Deep the Father's Love for Us. I don't remember singing it, but I ran across the second and third verse a couple of weeks ago. Behold, the man upon a cross, my sin upon his shoulders. Ashamed, I hear my mocking voice cry out among the scoffers. It was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished. His dying breath has brought me life. I know that it is finished. I will not boast in anything, no gift, no power, no wisdom, but I will boast in Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection. Why should I gain from his reward? I cannot give an answer, but this I know with all my heart. His wounds have paid my ransom. I want you to know that Jesus was a volunteer on the cross. He wasn't forced by Rome. He wasn't forced by the Jews. In heaven before he ever came to the earth to live as a baby and then a, a teenager and then a man, before all of that was ever decided, he had already told the Father he volunteered because God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. You know, David always finishes his sermons with a question. 
So I have a couple of questions. My biggest one is this. Who is Jesus to you? Is he the son of God? You see, Jesus is either the son of God or he's a fraud. If he's not the son of God, he is a lousy teacher because he has betrayed us all. So we have to decide, is he really the son of God? And if he is, what are we going to do with that knowledge? Because the second thing that we should ask is, is he the king? Because you see, in the Bible, the, the word kingdom literally means the rule of the king. And so if he is our king, it means we do what he says. Remember when Jesus healed the centurion's servant? He told Jesus, you know, I don't, I don't want you to come to my house. You don't have to do that. Because you can do it just by speaking it. Because I, I have men under my authority and I tell them to do this and they do it. And I know that you can do it that way. He can because he's king. And the question is, are we willing to, to give ourselves to the lordship of Christ? If he's the son of God and we ch choose that, then if he's our king, it solves so many questions. There are so many questions that people have in this world that we don't have to answer. Because God's our king. Christ is our king. And the third question is, is he the man? He is. And he came to defeat death and give us life eternal. Isn't that incredible? What we can learn about God from the lyrics. Would you pray with me? Father, we're so grateful that you have enabled men to write down words that are filled with life. We're thankful, Father, for the Apostle John that gave us the, the text that we've used tonight. And Father, I'm thankful that Johnny Cash took a song written by Tex Ritter and gave it to us so that we can contemplate this Jesus who is the man. Father, I pray that all of us who have not named Jesus as our Lord and King will make that decision. We're thankful, Father, for all that you've done for us. And we pray, Father, for this church. We pray, Father, for our nation. Help us, Father, as a nation to humble ourselves and seek your face and pray and repent that you can heal our land. Father, thank you so much. Through Christ Jesus, we pray. Amen. Let's stand together and sing, shall we?